when you arrive in a new country, uh, knowing the model, you already uh, win quite some months. Knowing the person as you are a bit far from the other team, it helps a lot to create that relationship, which is different than a relationship when you are on a day-to-day basis on, on the office. So I think it was the right choice for us to win some time uh, rather than just hiring someone, letting him uh, uh, launching uh, alone in, in Barcelona. that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here, your host of this podcast. In today's economy, every company has to do more with less. It has become all about frugality with a continuous need to show growth to the investors, for instance. But what if you could bootstrap your way into launching a foreign market? Well, that is what fleets did in Spain. They reached 10% of their current total annual recurring revenue in less than a year without raising any funds or any source of money. It has been a one-mile work for a few months, the work of Batis Patel, who is now chief of staff at Fleets, and he shares today his learning about how they launched the Spanish market without dedicating a big budget. Hi, Baptiste. Thank you so much for coming here in the International Corner. How are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, thanks a lot, Tiffen, uh, for hosting me and uh, super pleased to, to be here with you today. <laughs> well, the pleasure is mine and I'm very excited to hear more about the fleet journey in Spain and how you guys managed to bootstrap your way to launch the Spanish market. Um, perhaps for the audience to know you a little bit more, Could you introduce yourself, your company Flits, and your role there maybe since you joined so that we have an overview of what you've been doing there? Yeah, for sure. Um, So Flit, basically, what we do is that we simplify the acquisition and management of uh, IT Flits for scale-up, startup, and SMBs. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so me, personally, I joined the company two years ago. Um, last year I was kind of country launcher for Fleet in Spain and now I moved back to, uh, some months ago to Paris and I am currently uh, chief of staff. All right, very clear. So I have this new concept uh, called uh, the icebreaker. If you had to roll the dice and there's like six faces, which number would you pick? I would say five. All right, so five. The question is, can you give one key advice that you would give to your younger self as you got into the country launching mission in Spain that would have made things much easier if you had to start all over again? Yeah, I would say maybe do things that don't scale. Uh, it's a, a classical uh, a pattern we used to we use quite, uh, quite a lot in, in startup today. But uh, yeah, if I can give you an example... Um, you know, to acquire the first uh, first client, and even in our business model, we we are doing leasing. You know, so we work with financial partner, and uh, 
like after some some weeks we had quite a lot of difficulty with our financial partner and what mm -hmm. he did is that we just uh, uh, go to Madrid to meet them physically and uh, we create that that kind of relationship you know and okay. later on it, it helped us a lot so yeah maybe if when you start uh, Uh, in a new country, you just tell yourself, okay, I have a lot of things. I need to focus doing some uh, trips in other cities because I was based in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really even for me. I will lose my time. But no, you know, on short time, you may lose a, lose a bit of time. But on medium mm -hmm. and long term, it helps you a lot. So, yeah, for me, it's a, it's a great example of two things that don't scale. Yeah, for sure. And as you said at the beginning, you have to find the low-hanging fruits. And if it means that maybe traveling more, doing things, as you said, that don't scale, it's still a great way to actually do it. All right. You touched upon it a little bit. I just wanted to deep dive in your business model for people to better understand who is Fleet selling to. So what's the target market, your average deal size, the sales cycle time. Just a few examples for us to better understand how you guys work. Yeah, for sure. So we work so mainly with a startup, scale-up and SMBs. So yeah, VC-backed companies that uh, want to grow fast, hire, that want to professionalize the, the, the way they manage their IT. Um, so they want yeah, a simple solution to, to professionalize the, the, the IT management and lease the cost, you know, and pay attention to, to their treasury. So I would say we have... Uh, yeah, small startup that are start, starting to grow. We have scale up, uh, you know, like uh, up to uh, three three thousand employees, but mainly uh, around two three hundred people. You know, mm -hmm. they are present. Uh, they are present uh, in whole Europe, so we can deliver in whole Europe. So it's quite easy for for them and quite useful. Um, so our business model, we are doing leasing, as I said before. Mm -hmm. So we work with a financial partner that uh, that help us uh, in that business model. Uh, the company, our clients, so when you are a company and client at Fleet, you pay a monthly fee, okay? And you have access to uh, uh, all our offer, which include uh, the renting of the asset, asset itself, uh, a, a platform to a SaaS to manage all your IT fleet with different features, Uh, to help you to help you in the onboarding and offboarding of of your employees, and lastly you have a premium uh, support B 2 B support. So whenever you have an incident, you just raise a ticket on the platform, and we take care of the of the incidents for you. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that that's our model. And in terms of average yield and sales cycle, so we have uh, our revenue is is divided into two sources of revenue i would say we have the new clients that start to order with us but also the the clients that um you know uh, already work with us and hire on a frequent basis so um um or maybe we ha we have clients that uh, i don't know like took us up to 300 400 Uh, computers, you know, so we have a, a, a huge ARPA and a, a huge um, average basket. I won't go maybe into into too much details there, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that model helps us with a, an important uh, average basket to generate a lot of revenue 
quickly. Um, after yeah, after four four years, we we just generate four ten millions in the overall uh, last year uh, okay. by being bootstrap. So it's it's quite a lot. And and to finish. It's- yeah, no, just quick question on that. When you said 10 million in four years, is that overall? And if yes, then what's the proportion of the Spanish market in that? If you can share it, of course. For sure, for sure. So that's overall. Um, so giving a proportion uh, for that last year, maybe is not super re- relevant as we launched at the middle of, of the year. But so that you have the info for now, we are currently... I think uh, doing maybe ten percent of the global revenue okay. in Spain. So right. I mean, it's it's working pretty well, and that's mm-hmm. why we want to to expand in her Europe uh, now. All right. And you said when did you start that country launching journey there? So we start, I think, at the end of March, beginning of April. Okay, last and, year. Uh, yeah, last year exactly. Um, so yeah, and after co- quite some months, we hired the first first person, and now there is a, a team uh, in, in Barcelona. Yeah. All right, that means that you managed to generate uh, this much within a year. Then those like ten ten percent, which is uh, which is I guess like quite good, right? Yeah, it depends of each company, um, but. W- we we uh, usually say that ten percent after one year it's a a good objective to to reach and we already uh, reach it so I mean we we just show that we can duplicate our, our model uh, we will go in, into much details after but by being bootstrap um, so we can duplicate the model generate a lot of revenue uh, with quite small resources. So, I mean, uh, no, we are pretty happy of uh, what we achieve uh, up, up to now uh, in Spain. All right. And just because I prevented you from finishing, I think you were going to talk about the cycle, the sales cycle time, I believe, before I, I asked the question. Yeah, for sure. So I would say that, you know, ordering on computer is quite transactional. Like you have a need because you have a new employee that arrived in uh, one, two weeks. So you just want to order a computer. So sometimes we close client in, you know, one day. Um, but also you have also the, I would say maybe the second type of sales cycle, uh, with maybe bigger companies when mm-hmm. changing the way they manage the IT is quite a huge thing within the company. So sometimes we have sales cycle, I would say that go to, uh, up to two months, but okay. not that much. All right. So yeah, as you mentioned, it's rather transactional as a, a sales. All right. Well, you mentioned it just before you said, uh, the, and that's uh, the angle I think of this episode is that uh, Fleets is still to that day bootstrapped, meaning that it's self-founded. How being bootstrapped has impacted the Spanish country launching journey on you? Like, you know, what, what were the impact of being self-founded in that journey? Yeah, su- super good question. So I would say, yeah, first in terms of uh, people involved at the beginning. So, you know, uh, as I said before, I arrived in Spain on my own, uh, just looking for a, a co-working. Um, so, yeah, I would say you need to test without, um, yeah, uh, investing a lot at the beginning. You know, when you are a VC-backed company, uh, you want to go fast, you have an important objective and you need to, 
you need to deliver because of your investor, you know. When you are not VC backed, uh, I mean, obviously we put us and we are ambitious, so we put us a, a important objective, but you know, you don't have that pressure from investor. So you arrived there, I was on my own, just as testing the market. Our first objective was to, to be able to, to duplicate the, the, the business model, you know, and, and we did it. So I would say in, in terms of, uh, where you, you, you think about you, you launching on your new country in terms of people involved, you know, um, if I so, can, yeah. Yeah. On that, uh, very interesting because people and hiring definitely this has an impact. Could you perhaps for the audience give a little bit more background into like why it was you? Who has been sent there? Like, why you specifically, and what was the? Because uh, I think you used um, um, VIE, right? So, like the the French uh, uh, Volontariat International en Entreprise System. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, before uh, coming to Spain, I used to work in the company, and at at one point when we decide to. To launch Spain, we had a discussion. Okay, should we hire uh, a Spanish uh, local person from the beginning, or should we send someone that is already in the company? And why we decide that I would be that person? Uh, I think that is that uh, I already knew the model, you know, and uh, knew perfectly the company. So I would say when you arrive in a new country. Uh, knowing the model, you already uh, win quite some months. Knowing the person, as you are a bit far from the other team, it helps a lot to create that relationship, which is different than a relationship when you are on a day-to-day basis on the, on the office. So I think it was the right choice for us to win some time uh, rather than just hiring someone, letting him uh, uh, launching uh, alone in, in Barcelona and Yeah, after some months, we 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 start hiring the first person, and now we are happy with, with that. And that's something we quite often hear in this podcast. Uh, the one conversation I have in mind right now is the one with uh, Quentin de Bavelier from Malte. Like that's exactly what he does every time they're opening a new country. They try to send someone from the HQ at least for a year or two uh, to bring that culture. And as you said because you know the product, you know the company, you know the people, it also makes things easier after that person gets surrounded by other people, but at least you bring that um, culture and, and that knowledge from the HQ there. Okay. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, when you say about culture and about, yeah, living the way uh, we are at feet like being bootstrap. So as soon as I arrived, you know, we didn't invest a lot of, in terms of resources, in terms of marketing budget, etc. But because I was uh, already in the company, I knew that, and I knew that, you know, when you are fit, I think you you are resourceful because you want to achieve more by inv- investing less. And that's that's really the, the culture being frugal. And uh, yeah, we, we just implement that also spirit in Spain. All right. You mentioned... People, obviously, that was one of your impacts. Uh, as you said, that what was important for you is that you were someone that know the model, know the people, and can, I guess, also easily get by. So that's, that's great. You mentioned a second aspect that I wanted to touch upon, which is budget, marketing budget. How did that work? How did you manage to generate leads? 
did you have any budget at all, like even a small one, or did you have to rely only on outbound at first? Yeah, so so obviously I had I had some some budget. I think here there is a. I remember I talked few few weeks ago with the scale up. Um, the guy told me that they invest hundred k of of acquisition in acquisition campaign at the beginning. Then you know with the market they start decreasing their budget, more optimizing it, and uh, they they generate the same amount of of uh, of leads behind. You know, so I would say. Investing a lot, for sure, uh, it's important, but it doesn't mean that it will it will pay at the beginning. So, us, uh, we start with a, a, a small budget, acquiring the first lead in, in inbound, uh, then leveraging a lot outbound, you know, um, especially partnership. So, you know, uh, even if we, <laughs> we are bootstrapped, we... We do quite a lot of partnership with uh, VC, you know, who push uh, push us to their portfolio companies, and leverage leveraging partnership. You don't need a lot of, of marketing budget, you know. So partnership with VCs, with accelerator, uh, incubator, it works quite a lot. So with a, a small budget, but still a, a, an important budget, we we succeed to acquire the the, the first clients and uh, develop our, our commercial and marketing strategy. So I would Therefore, say overall, yeah, yeah, overall, um, yeah, when you have a smaller budget, you need to be maybe more smarter, more resourceful, and it doesn't mean that you cannot have a result after. All right, let's maybe dig into this. So you mentioned partnerships. Um, I'm guessing you guys chose VCs, so venture capitalists and accelerators, because that's th those were the the ones that were the most in touch with your target market, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep, the outbound. When you say outbound as well, what was your strategy there to reach out to potential companies? Did you just do email blast? Did you do more like a one-on-one approach? How did that work? So I would say us, and I mean, it's it's global in outbound, being super personalized works pretty well. And especially with us, uh, as we had some partnership with uh, with the VC, we leverage that even in our outbound strategy, you know. So when you arrived uh, to a, uh, contact a company explaining, okay, I work with... Uh, We have a partnership with your uh, fund. We already worked with the, that company from your fund for the, for the prospect is super reassuring, you know? Mm. So, I mean, being super qualitative, leveraging our partnership, even in outbound worked pretty well. And that was a, a key uh, acquisition channel for us. And um, just really to give actual actionable tips, did you... Did you just use, I would say, um, semi-personalized uh, album email campaigns? Like, what was it? Or was it literally just one-on-one emails through whatever Gmail or, you know, that you guys, like, uh, are using? Yeah, no, I would say album. So album, you have uh, you have quite of, uh, not, you have classical album, you know, uh, even if you are personalized, uh, uh, you have, like, Do, do sending some sequences per, super personalized, but there is also outbound at leveraging your network, you know. Um, so you know, having some intro, you met one person that intro another person that that intro you another person. 
So that kind of outbound works also pretty well. Okay, so and referral then. I would, yeah, maybe yeah, more into referral. Uh, and especially, in, I would say, in Spain, when people I, I used to meet each other quite often, even for business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it's Spain, it's worked pretty well, and it's um, it's still working pretty well. Like, I, uh, I know that the, the person now in Spain, is for, for key clients, you know, they sometimes uh, meet them physically, and uh, it's, it's, it's pays off after. So I think, uh, yeah, it's... Outbound that way also, um, as you say, referral uh, works pretty well also. All right. And if you look back, I would say, of what you did at the beginning and what you're doing now, what would you say is the most efficient channel? Yeah, I would say partnership. Partnership. And for me, partnership is a bit uh, related to outbound. But as our brand is not uh, as known as the fleet brand in France, you need to find other ways to, to generate lead. Obviously, you need also to, to grow your brand awareness, but you need to find other acquisition channel. And I would say partnership, yeah, for sure, it works pretty well. What about events? Did you guys go to events there at the beginning? Or even now, did you sometimes go? So, so I think even if before I say that you need to do things that you don't scale, you also need to, to be super focused. So at the beginning, I didn't do that much event. For now, we are doing some some event, even like sponsoring some event. And I think it works pretty well, but especially for your brand awareness, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something we are, we are trying to do now to be more known in the Spanish ecosystem. And uh, yeah, in Spain, uh, uh, you have uh, uh, quite often a lot of events. I would say maybe even more than in France. Mm-hmm. And as people... Uh, uh, yeah, I think I really understood that in Spain, to be known, you need to be present in events. Like people see you physically, they knew they they know you as a person, but also knew your brand, and that's a key aspect to be to be more known in the in the ecosystem. All right. So just in that lead generation, I would say part what you what you said is that you were really into a trial trial and error modes. Should I say by um, doing a little bit of marketing. So I guess acquisition there, uh, a little bit of, if we talk about album, but email campaigns and probably a bit of calling, I'm guessing as well. Partnerships, uh, trying to focus on like VCs and accelerators. Referral, trying to really get people to recommend you and then get that other door open uh, because, you know, someone is actually uh, asking for it. And face-to-face meetings, which were particularly or have been rather particularly useful there in Spain because people love to talk to each other and see each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you perfectly resume it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. When you started on the Spanish market, did you manage in some ways to leverage what was done in the French market? References, partners that also had like branches over there in Spain or it was literally starting from scratch with zero help with what you've done before? So I would say maybe first for sure the experience that you you learn uh, uh, in your local country, like uh, the playbook, you know, that that you still uh, that you have. Secondly, we had uh, quite some clients that were present in France and also in, in Spain, so it helped us uh, acquiring the, the first uh, first client. Mm-hmm. And maybe thirdly, with our partner, 
we had some some data in French showing them that okay we we are growing we are uh, creating a lot of business so they they maybe trust her more than if we just start from the beginning from scratch uh, in Spain so for sure now we quite uh, leverage those uh, those different topics uh, when we arrived in Spain all right perfect so that also helped you to give you like a head start and ease the acquisition of the first customers yeah exactly and when you exactly. arrived in in Spain did you already close a few clients or you closed the first one when you when you got there so we had already some demand from clients in Spain but you know with our business model uh, we needed to to be able to finance them with our financial mm. partner so I mean uh, it was just the challenge of financing them explaining the business model to, to our new partner in, in Spain so that was just the topic you know but we already had some demand for, for from client before arriving to Spain and It was you at the beginning then. When did you start hiring an actual team there and which I'm guessing Spanish people? When did that start or what was the trigger as well? So I would say we didn't define uh, when we arrived in Spain uh, a clear objective uh, where we, we would uh, start, you know, hiring a person on the ground. But it's just that at some point, We had a, a key client that generates a revenue for us on a monthly basis. We we have been uh, uh, acquiring quite a lot of clients on a monthly basis. So we just understood at that moment that, okay, we kind of start to succeed to duplicate the model. So, I mean, the risk of failing was not there anymore. Uh, so we just say, okay, now it's time to accelerate. Let's uh, let's uh, hire the, the team, and uh, that's what we did. All right. Uh, and today, how many employees are there over there in Spain? Because you came so, back right to the to the HQ, as you mentioned. Yeah, even if yeah. I'm still a bit involved, but uh, yeah, I came back. So so I would say, in terms of composition of the team, we want especially to put sales and marketing team there. So for now, there are three. Uh, we are still increasing the team and uh, we keep uh, like the central team uh, uh, like finance, HR, um, ops um, in France. So we want to yeah, mainly invest in marketing and, and sales uh, in each uh, local country. All right. All right. And you're opening Germany now, right? I think. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, we are currently opening Germany, and as we know that we can duplicate the model, we want to go faster and hire uh, people from from the beginning. Um, right. So, uh, people from the beginning, are you still sending someone from the HQ as well, or just a local team that directly then there? Uh, we want to to uh, hire someone from the beginning, and for sure we will go there uh, to implement that culture and to help him uh, with our model. But he, we we want yeah we want to go faster, and so we're gonna hire a team from the beginning with uh, the support of the local team who do some back and forth uh, to Germany. All right. All right. And okay, back to the, I would say, uh, Spanish market. If you think about everything you did to close deals, etc., what is something that maybe you find out that's really Spanish related 
that really helps you close deals in this market and you believe other companies that are listening to this podcast right now could benefit from a tip, basically? Uh, I would say uh, about closing. Um, yeah, so physical meetings for us, it, it works pretty well, uh, especially now uh, that we have local team and having local people at the end, you know, uh, I think in France, maybe the same, but Spanish people, they always prefer to, to speak, uh, to speak Spanish with local person, you know? So I would say, yeah, having, uh, foreigners uh, had some limits. So as soon as you can do it, hire some local person, don't hesitate to meet physically your customer. Uh, it will help you for sure closing more deals. <laughs> and I think we are coming back to that local presence um, and uh, probably also linked to this Latin culture that they really like to. Um, the, you said something that is quite interesting about limits when you're a foreigner. How did you go through it? Because obviously you're French. I don't know how good is your Spanish level and how good it was at the beginning when you started, but did you have to go through some roadblocks? Did you actually feel you couldn't close deals or even start conversations sometimes because you were not a Spanish speaker? I mean, Spanish native, should I say? Hmm. Yeah, so maybe there is a few points here. So I already uh, spoke Spanish when I arrived uh, in Barcelona. Uh, for sure, I increased my, my level quite a lot by uh, talking on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, then talking with partner, with potential client, I would say the chit-chat thing that, that you may have with person from the same country, I didn't have it uh, because, you know, I was kind of, kind of limited. So I think that thing when you just chit-chat uh, helps you also to create relationship with your prospect and at the end to close them. And so in that sense, I was quite, quite limited. Then, um, yeah, so when I arrived after a few months, I faced a, a few weeks, I faced the first obstacle and I just, okay, uh, say I need to find solutions. So sometimes I remember I didn't understand a hundred percent, but I, I was like, okay, I need to find some solution I need to close. So, Yeah, I think even if you don't speak the language, uh, you can still understand a bit the context and uh, it doesn't stop you to, to find solutions, to close deals. But sometimes it's quite funny. Yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> All right. So it didn't stop you from actually closing deals, but you're saying that if you get some locals, it goes faster and uh, it gets much smoother. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know, for sure. And... No, but just in terms of habits, you know, like a Spanish person, I didn't say it before, but they use quite a lot of WhatsApp, uh, you know, so on WhatsApp, when you're sending some vocals or, you know, like expression, me, <laughs> I was not used to do it, you know, so those, those small things, you know, mm -hmm. those are the things that make the difference at the end. All right. Uh, all right. So don't hesitate to use WhatsApp and, and do some voice notes there. Great learning to keep, great tip, I guess. Reflecting back now on your on your journey and everything you went through in the Spanish markets, what are your three key learnings there, like really specific to Spain, that you think we should be aware of, right? As hmm. it could be cultural differences, but something we need to keep in mind when we go to the to the to the Spanish market and, and want to launch it. 
Yeah, for sure. So one I didn't mention before, and for me it's quite important, is that in a, an important part of Spanish person don't work on, on Friday afternoon or at least after two or three. So, you know, when you have a, a, a deal to, to close or when you have a partner to talk to, don't put him some meetings on Friday afternoon. Um, and even in summer, like, I mean, uh, they, usually they, they work, uh, um, maybe uh, they start to work earlier, but they, they stop maybe at, at three or four, you know. So it, it's something that when I understood it, I was like, okay, I need to adapt myself. Um, so first, first thing, second thing, for sure, like meeting people physically, uh, even sometimes having long lunch, you know, uh, you, you see quite that you see that quite often, uh, like uh, people uh, that have so super important role having uh, lunch during two to three hours in Spain is it's quite often. And yeah, so learning is a, no, like a, the impact of a, of a local person, uh, if you compare it to a, a person from another country, it's, it's so much, it's so much different, you know. Um, I remember uh, the, the guy, we, one of the person we hired in Spain told me, you know, sometimes, uh, because I was sometimes talking English with, uh, with the Spanish, Mm-hmm. And the Spanish, sometimes they don't like to, to speak English, you know, yeah, always. Course, they prefer yeah. to speak their own language. And that's, that's really, that's really true. And that has a, a, an important thing, impact uh, after. All right. So summing it up, you said that first, uh, be careful about how you organize your time. I guess prospecting or doing business because Spanish people don't really work on Friday afternoons. Two, meeting people physically is very important. And the third one, don't hesitate to have a local person with you because, well, I think it's also the case for a lot of different markets, but they like to speak with people from the same country or at least to get some sense of nativity, I guess, in the in the person that really understands their, their culture can do this teach chat as uh, as you mentioned that sometimes you miss because you're a foreigner and you're not you've not been living there for quite some time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Baptiste. That was uh, a lot of uh, interesting insights and impacting. I think for any companies who wants to enter the the Spanish market. It's time now to go to the same section that's common to every episode here in this podcast, which is the Oops, My Bad time. Whoops, my bad. For those who tune in the first time, it's a few minutes at the end for the guests to share a big mistake or setback that has happened during the country launching journey so that hopefully you guys don't repeat the same mistakes because that's the aim, right? Is that we go faster when we do uh, country launching. So perhaps, Betis, I know you've shared already a lot of insights, but do you have a story to tell or another tip to share that happened to you? And you said, yes, please don't repeat the same because it will help you uh, go much faster. I mean, I already maybe mentioned it, but for us, for me, it's quite important because I think we lose, uh, we lose really sometimes there is that, you know, we work with financial partners of so thanks to our, mm-hmm. our business model leasing. And I think I went to see my partner maybe uh, physically after two months. And I mean, uh, if I would have done it at the beginning, I think probably I would have earned win two months, you know. So I would say, mm. yeah, don't hesitate to do things that don't scale, especially uh, go to see your important partners, your important clients. It will be reassuring for sure. 
because when you arrive in a, in a, in a new country, you need to you do, you need to uh, remind you uh, you need to remember sorry that uh, you are starting again from quite from zero. You know, so you need mm-hmm. all you need to create, uh, for example, in our case, those relationship with our partner. You need to to start again and don't have the mindset like okay, uh, in my local country. Uh, it's already working, so it will be like like the same in the in the next country. No, no, no. You start again, so you need to put yourself in that mindset and don't hesitate mm-hmm. to sometimes, uh, yeah, uh, uh, go to see your clients, your partner. Even it's uh, it's not something that is super scalable, but uh, it will help you for sure at the beginning. Well, Baptiste, thank you so much for your time and for all your insights today. I hope that it will help a few of our listeners that are focusing on the Spanish markets. And I guess just have to tell you until next time then. Thanks uh, thanks a lot, Tiffany, for, for hosting me. And it was a pleasure for me. Pleasure assured. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to not miss the next one. And please share it with two people in your network. This is how this podcast gets more visibility and can help more of us to work on international markets. See you soon.